Yes. Well, there we go. Nice. Cool. I'll, uh, I'll jump into it. Um, Lovely, mate. <laughs> Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. You have not heard from me for a while. You're probably wondering why I'm not Bruno. Um, long story short, it's Alex back, of course. Um, I've moved up to Manchester, so I'm up north now. Um, a lot was involved in that, you know, new career, new new house, new flat, new everything. It's been a lot. Um, I just haven't had the time to breathe and I've got another busy week coming up. But, um, you know, I, I didn't really want to lose commitment to the pod. So, uh, you know, I'm glad to be back here and of course, another familiar face joining me is Luke Weezer Socio. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Obviously, buzzing after the weekend's result. Can't complain, can't complain. Yeah, well, it's been quite good lately. We'll obviously get onto that. And there's been a lot to unpack since, um, not only since you last heard from me, but since even the last pod, frankly. Um, you know, Bruno, as always, has done a stellar job covering for there and, and, and getting back on it. Um but yeah, we, we've obviously uh, we've obviously looked a bit at Sheffield and some of the issues surrounding the club and the Elise situation. Then moved quite quickly after that was discussed with Liam from Match Day Three Six Five. You know, great pod, and I still recommend people to go back and have a little listen if they get the chance. But you know, obviously, there's so much that's moved, and you know, there's the window and the controversy around that. So you know, we're uh, we won't be short of things to talk about for sure. Um, also, big shout out to you, mate, because you you were a really good uh, ticket plug for Sheffield United. So it was that's really right, good to mate. Yeah, 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 and no, I really appreciate that. Obviously, it was um, I re- it was really good to go with you, and again, another really good result. But um, I'm hoping now that I'm up in Manchester to do like as many away days as I can. You know, there's so many on my doorstep. You know, yeah, it'll be quality, it'll be quality. It's good to finally get that pint together in, won't it? No, nah, it was long overdue. Like <laughs> we, we always talked about doing a little pod social, and we never did. And I fucked off from London and all the rest. So. No, it was good. Um, I've got Old Trafford and uh, the Etihad literally like a few stops away on the tram from my flat, so it's it's great. And then obviously Burnley is a really short bus ride. You know, they were both Liverpool grounds; they're really close, so it's it's so easy and, and fairly cheap for me to go do some away days up here. So you best believe I'll be on. Um, right, that's enough about me because um, I don't really like the spotlight as much as I sound like I like the sound of my own voice and all that. And um, I want to talk before we get into the main sort of elephant in the room about the transfer window about the results because inevitably, you know, either side of the, of the, of the transfer window shutting and, and what I think is fair to say is a lot of disappointment from the more vocal sections of the Palace community. Um, we obviously had some very good results, not least, uh, we'll start with Plymouth, I think, in the League Cup. Obviously, you know, Home Park is a fantastic ground. Plymouth is, you know, one of the, un- I think it's an underrated club in terms of its size nationally. I mean, you know, it's, it's certainly um, in Devon, obviously, Exeter Plymouth is a huge rivalry in the first place, which I think people overlook sometimes. And, um, you know, Plymouth's capacity is great. Their fan base nationally is 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 really significant. So, um, obviously, it was a really good pick, I think, and a lot of people were quite excited despite the round trip. Um, I think over, I think it was almost 1,200 people that went, by the way. So, if you're one of those people listening, um, massive shout out to you because that's a huge commitment on what a Tuesday night it was. So, you know, I was sat there doing my pub quiz that I do every Tuesday and I was just pinging and pinging and I thought, for fuck's sake, we're 2-0 down. And then, you know, just casual Mateta hat trick, you know, just it was a bit wild, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was so ridiculous. I mean, it was it, I, genuinely, it was it was the most ridiculous performance I've I've seen in a cup for a long time. And not least under Roy, he decided to finally take it seriously. Um, as I said, I'm going to have to say this again now. Enough of me, Yabri. Yeah, um Obviously, take me not necessarily through the game. I, I think we, it's probably less interesting. I think people already know the gist of how that game went and how it transformed. But obviously, we started poorly. What were your initial thoughts for going into that game? What did you make of the pick? What did you make of how we started? Yeah, I think uh, the team sheet actually was a lot of players that everyone wanted to see. You know, the Rakstakis, the Armadas, all that. That was really good for everyone to see. Richards was playing. You know, we were seeing a couple of these fringe players getting some game time and that was really important with the transfer window open to see how they were doing. We needed to know how these players can do if they have to come into the senior squad during the Premier League. It's really important. Obviously, everyone has really high hopes for Rex Saki as well. So that was really important. Obviously, it didn't transpire to be as good as maybe we thought it'd be with some of the players. Ahamada, Rex Saki didn't really make an influence. In the end, it only really took our key players like Eze, Edward. Uh, Viteta to come on and actually create the influence that they needed and that was slightly worrying that obviously highlights the lack of squad depth we have I think defensively as well maybe we saw that's why Rob Holding came into the uh, the squad on deadline day because maybe Tom Kins just is seen as someone who maybe doesn't cut it enough 
maybe Roy doesn't like Richards either. We needed that third centre-back. So it was really good result in the end. Coming back from two goals, scoring, free scoring, you know, really good goals. Hat-trick, you know, buzzing with that comeback in like five minutes, however many it was to make it the 3-2. And then eventually we went on to score more. But yeah, you know, despite the victory, there were definitely some little negatives to take from the game. Absolutely. A really good assessment, I feel. Um, obviously, we started really poorly conceding in the sixth minute. Um, we just didn't deal with the strike. I mean, we gave them far too much time in the build-up and then obviously didn't really create enough chances. We looked quite weak, lacking in fluency and attack. And then, as you say, I think the quality really just wasn't there, particularly from those players that maybe were on the fringes and we didn't see so often. Um, particularly, and not so much at the back, but in midfield, for sure. Like, I mean... Um, you know, I think there was a lack of match sharpness there, and yeah. I wouldn't say fitness, I think that's too harsh, but I think you know, you could tell there was a, there was a lack of understanding. And sometimes, particularly in the sort of early Roy era, not so much now, but we've had this better squad, but certainly in the old Roy days, a big problem was always that lack of ability to rotate. But I think one of the sort of slight upside that we're seeing, particularly with these more creative players, is I think actually Roy keeping really consistent team lineups is benefiting in terms of understanding. Um, and not to sort of cross-reference because we'll, we'll save Wolves for later, but I think in both those games, when we saw a more uh, a solid lineup in terms of what we would expect week in, week out, I think you could really see the understanding between the spine of the team and, and the forwards in particular, and, and it just started to click, you know. Um, and obviously just after the first half against Plymouth, just when you think, Christ, we look so underwhelming, we then go and see the Wildy um, from their fullback, no less. And I mean, I have to take full hats off. It was a brilliant effort. Um, not really a lot that we could do about that. So, you know, you, you're getting there kind of 47 minutes, you're thinking bloody hell. And then it's just five minutes of madness. It's a triple sub, all three of them back assists. You know, the strikers do their thing. It's fantastic, you know, and not to top it off, the first hat trick since what, <laughs> uh, not Balassi, it was, uh, it was Gale technically against Charlton in the cup, wasn't it? But um, something like that. It, it's, yeah. it's something you don't see every day. Uh, we've come close to plenty of braces in the last few years, but hat-tricks we just don't talk about. So it was a real delight to see someone who's come under so much pressure lately and Jean-Philippe Mateta really getting three well-taken goals. Um, it ended up being a fantastic performance once those subs were made. I mean, Eze in just 35 minutes registered so many creative actions to the point where, you know, we could rattle them off, but you've probably seen them somewhere else or heard <laughs> them all before or, you know, she can all plug the Palace way on Twitter. So... <laughs> You know, I think I think there's not too much to say about Plymouth. I think I think it was such a transformative result in terms of our ability to change the way we played with those subs that it just gave us a bit of faith as a fan base. I think in terms of what we could achieve. But obviously, there was obviously you know this this sort of thing in the background going, oh well, it's only Plymouth. You know, yeah. we had doubts about strikers. What what did you did you think the result was significant for our strikers in particular? What did you really make of of coming back like that? Do you think it's given confidence, or do you think it's something that we can't be too sort of hyped up about? I think obviously it's just good to see that our strikers can score in these games consistently, work together really well as well. We just haven't had consistency in our strikers. So obviously, no matter the game, it's always good. I think for me, just highlighted why players like Raksaki do need that extra loan, do need another season maybe away from our squad. Personally, I don't think it helps his growth getting minutes um very rarely or in the odd cup game we don't have too many cup games we've got man united next do you really see roy playing him against man united away i'm not sure for the for a starting position anyways so you know we have high hopes for him and obviously people want to see him get minutes but i think if he had got that championship loan it would have been really really good for him other than that though obviously it's good to see a prospect getting so much game time and then when you're talking about the two actual strikers in Matera and edward when we've seen what Edward got six goals of last season, Mateta got two, and already we see Mateta beat that in one game, which is ridiculous. And then we'll move on to Wolves later, but you can see that it's clearly bringing confidence. Edward and Mateta doing stuff we don't really see, and that's probably because of these goals they got in the Plymouth game. You know, it doesn't matter who you're playing against for a striker, momentum is everything. No, absolutely. I mean, like I say, they're under heaps of pressure, both of them. I think they both know that they could be doing better. And I think to come away like that, I mean, it's such a springboard. It doesn't really matter on the opposition. You know, it could be a catalyst for great things. And just to go back to your point on Raksaki as well, because I don't want to gloss over him. Like, as you say, I think he looked fairly sharp at times. I think, you know, obviously, I think he was adjusting to the physicality of the game and he's got a lot to learn still. And we, again, shouldn't like, see him as this kind of like-for-like Elise replacement. I think, I think if you do, I think that's 
an unreasonable expectation and and you know we have to kind of nurture and be, be mindful of that as a fan base let alone as a club so you know he did he did fairly well I don't think he made a, a direct impact in terms of obviously anything to do with the score sheet but I think in terms of fluidity I think he was a better outlet and um, and obviously you know when I got when he got hooked I think it changed the game a little bit you know so we have to kind of look on both hands and say you know that wasn't too bad actually it's a decision but as you say, I think, again, this is probably more for the window later, but um, I think he would have obviously benefited from a loan. Um, plenty of suitors in for him. Off the top of my head, I think Sunderland made a late play for him, but yeah. there were plenty of suitors throughout the window. Um, all, not just championship clubs, but very established ones that could easily be knocking on the door for the Prem. So, you know, the calibre there was 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 unreal. Um, I've just seen... What, hold out that glass again. The listeners won't be able to see it, but... <laughs> Oh, Beaver it's Town, Beaver Town. He's got a Beaver Town pint mark. He's one of those guys. One of many stolen pint glasses I have. Uh, and just Beaver Town is one man. of them. I am a bit of a Beaver Town fan, though, so don't hate me too much. Oh, I can't. I just can't hack IPAs, right? I, I've never <laughs> got into them. But um, speaking of not being able to hack it, woohoo. Um, we had we had a pretty out of form Wolf side coming to Southhurst Park then, um, right immediately after deadline day. Um, obviously, I will save transfers later. I know it's not chronological, but I think it that deserves most of the time on this show because let's face it. I mean, I think if you're listening to this now, you're probably in tune with the result, the performances, and so on. You'll be aware of that, and I think it's more important that we focus on basically the discourse because there's so much of it at the moment. You know, you've got a window that people were disappointed with, combined with what was an excellent performance at Wolves. So, again, as I always tend to ask, I mean. You know, Wolves are going for a bit of a period of transition themselves. You know, Lepategui, I believe it's Basque, right? I, he, he walked literally days before the start of the Premier League season. You've got to feel for them. He obviously was promised great resources to overhaul the squad, but FFP constraints meant that wasn't the case yet. Wolves were still able to secure some pretty decent business into themselves at the end in terms of both prospects and sort of squad players, you know. They've lost Matias Nunes and Ruben Neves for big money each. Yep. I think almost almost 100 million combined, right? If not more. Um, so you know these are obviously substantial fees, but this is purely to balance the books. And I think in terms of actual um, dedication to the budget, it's quite limited in terms of what was available. So all things considered, they had they they had a bit of a squeeze. They bought in Gary O'Neill, who I think was wrongfully sacked by by, by uh, not Barcelona by Bournemouth. Sorry. <laughs> um, be great, be great if if he was straight into Barcelona, but. You know. <laughs> We can wish, oh, we can yeah. wish. Um, that would be a narrative, wouldn't it, Gary O'Neill? Yeah, from so Bournemouth to the Costa del Sol, that would be brilliant. <laughs> oh, don't don't even get me thinking about that. That would be such like a football manager thing to happen, right? But yeah, yeah, they've they've obviously had a lot of turbulence, and I think to come out of it with a, with a clear playing style was pretty strong. They obviously were really unfortunate to to not take anything from Old Trafford in their opener and. They obviously got their first win of the season coming into this game at Sohus against Everton. You know, they were they were starting to show some identity, even if the results weren't there. And maybe they have some woes in front of goal, but you know, there's a there's a lot there. So I mean, ultimately, what did you expect from this game? Was this kind of a must-win, particularly after such an interesting window? I mean, what was your take on this game? How important was it? Yeah, for sure. If you're wanting to get top half, or if you're just not wanting to be in a relegation battle, you have to beat at home one of the teams that are tipped to be close to the relegation zone who as you said have lost some of their key players of course they have made some okay signings but when you lose them Kilman as well not Kilman sorry Collins as well mm. you know that's like core of your midfield and defense there really worrying so you know new manager obviously there's always going to be them fears but I felt like we had to go into that game with a win with a three points get into that international break and you know be happy but it was what we wanted just you know that first hour was not great in my opinion Mm. i will probably talk a bit more about that as well but it was a typical roy hodgson v gary o'neill game really for that first 60 minutes you know we were letting them have possession for bits they were letting us have possession for bits but no one was really creating too big a chance obviously um i you should be scoring in the first half um, Chaos, wasn't but, it? Yeah. I know, but you know, overall, you can't you can't complain with a free goal performance where we've been all moaning about attackers, you know, in the transfer window. So happy with that. A few little niggles, obviously, but as I said, three points into the international break. Happy. Yeah, I mean, as an overall assessment, that's a really good summary. I mean, like you say, the first sixty minutes was pretty stale. I was watching uh, before this recording Roy's uh, post match comments, and he made very clear that. You know, he was really frustrated with what he saw. The team know they could do better than that. But, you know, in terms of creativity, I think it just it 
was sort of there in flashes, but nothing really too consistent. It, it felt like we were kind of fluking our way to trying to create a chance. Um, obviously, there was a bit of chaos when uh, Jose Sarr and the Wolves goal kind of played it out, a very sort of tame pass that gets sort of dallied on um, by that centre-half. And then uh, I think it was Jefferson Lerma, obviously, wrestled yeah, yeah. off the ball, thinks about taking the shot, which, to be honest, he could have. Um, but I think he did the right thing in passing it off to Ayu, who... I mean, I, I think some people were slating him for that. I genuinely just think that he, he put a decent amount of power on that. I think it was just good positioning from Kilman, frankly, to, to clear off the line. But that was a, a bit of a like a chaos ball moment that I think yeah. everyone was sort of up on their knee, up on their fucking legs for. Um, God, why did I forget what legs are? It's been a long. I've come in. I've come in <laughs> straight from work to record this. It's happening, right? Um, I'm not even going to edit that out. But fuck it, we ball. Um, no, like like seriously, it was it was a crazy moment, um, and it was very typical Palace to be left kind of. Going in at nil nil, um, Wolves themselves didn't really create anything other than very tame shots and sort of easily whipped in balls that Sam Johnson was able to deal with. But the set, the sort of game turned on its head and, and suddenly became a really entertaining second half that was pretty open for both teams. Um, we see Edouard just around the 60 minute mark, probably just slightly before, um, getting on the score sheet from a lovely, lovely effort from Tyreek yeah. Mitchell, who, let's be honest, he's come into a lot of criticism, including from us, and we, we will take ownership for that. He's had some pretty shaky performances this season. He's had some amazing ones too. In fact, probably more like one to two in terms of ratio, I'd say. Um, you know, he obviously has a lot of work to do on his game, but he's learning, he's getting better, he's maturing. He certainly defensively looks a lot stronger. And I think, you know, he's he's consistently occasionally had these games where he'll just sort of whip in a masterclass and, and get on the uh, get on the assist record, you know. Um, it's quite hard to fault him for what was a very good game against Wolves. Um, I think there were definitely a few moments this season where he wasn't so good, particularly against Arsenal, but that was always going to be a tough ask. I mean, how do you see, I mean, Tyrek obviously filling into the team and he mentioned in the post-match interview, of course, about his tactical role and how he's mostly drifting out wide and kind of almost doing uh, the job of a half-winger at times. And what what do you see in him and, and how did he really add to that performance? Because I think it's worth focusing on him. Yeah, it- it was really interesting to see sometimes how our wingers were setting up because I felt Schlupp was very central for a lot of the game, despite mm. clearly Eze still being a central player. So that meant if Mitchell's going to help us attack him, he really has to push forward. And look, he, he started two more in that second half. First half, I think unfairly for him, he was getting a lot of two-on-ones against him. You know, that's mm. where Schlupp should be helping him out a bit so that it saw him kind of sit back a lot more. Second half, given a bit more freedom, clearly, by us having a bit more possession. And look, perfect cross. We've seen it world score, what, three goals like that now, where he's just tapped mm. in from six yards. Perfect poacher. Mm. And yeah, as you said, Mitchell does come under criticism. Sometimes seems like one of them players now who won't ever kind of be um, praised massively, or but won't ever be slated massively. You know, he'll just produce... At the moment, it looks like he's going to be able to produce consistent performances. And if he can produce more crosses like that from the left wing, which we desperately need at the moment, then nothing to complain about at all with him at the moment. Really good to see. And, you know, as we said with Schlupp, you know, Mitchell did need to do a lot of the work on his own. So it was great to see that his kind of hard work came off. No, for sure, as you say, it paid off tremendously. I, th- I think I think Mitchell's really had to step up to the mantle, particularly as I mean, we do we do statistical breakdowns on on our, on our Twitter, but I'm not going to go into the, the, the details. But we know that Schlupp has been underwhelming for some time now. Um, he's shown he's probably a little bit better on that left wing role, but ultimately he seems to not be able to impact performances in the way we want him to. Obviously, a lot of clamour um, for him and Mate- uh, sorry for Eduard and Mateta. Not, I shouldn't reference him. Uh, for Mateta and Edouard to stop together or for some kind of are you on the left, Raksaki on the right kind of situation. I won't go into the validity of that, but obviously that left-hand side is a massive area of focus for us. Like you right, correctly identify, like I think Schlipp and Mitchell were kind of doubling up in a, in a left-hand side overload. And then you've got Eze kind of mostly central, but then also drifting a little bit into those kind of like half-wing spaces. And eventually Edouard, when Mateta came on, would then drop into a pocket of space two on the left. It, it's clearly where we've identified our strengths, you know. That's the crux of what I'm saying here. And Mitchell is obviously a huge part of that system in the way he plays. So, you know, he's obviously under their forms of tremendous amounts of pressure and individual scrutiny um, to get it right. And I think this was just one of those games where everything fell into place for him. Had a fantastic game. And um, I'm sure we'll be doing a lot more discussion of him as the season goes on because he's always going to be a figure that divides opinion. But ultimately, everyone, I think, can come together and, and get behind him still as a person and as a, as a Palace player. Um, 
I think we'll, we'll focus on the striker situation last because I think that's the way into it. I can speak today. Um, so, yeah, I think this will be a lovely um, kind of uh, like segue into that. Um, what did you make of the attacking performance based off the Plymouth response? And do you really think yeah. that's, isn't it? that's off his yeah. back for uh, for Eze and obviously for, for Edouard? He kind of back heels it as well. Two really sumptuous assists, by the way. But these were these these were two strikers that had real chemistry together, that made an impact, that looked confident, and most importantly had a clinical touch. Certainly in in Edouard's case, and then Mateta for Plymouth. Are you really convinced that the issue here is our attacking, or is it more like the quality of finishing or the quality of of, of chances created here that's the issue? I think it's like that is like so much to kind of go into there because obviously, as you said, so much confidence there. We said their goals from the Plymouth game probably help them with the momentum. You're not seeing Mateta do that kind of back pass, which he definitely did on purpose. Definitely. Because <laughs> you could see it. Like I was right in front of it. You could see what he was planning to do immediately. He was trying to do that. And then the back heel, you know, and then even Edwards, his second goal, that's a weak, weak foot finish as well that he's done, you know? So just that confidence is brooming from them. My issue, I think is actually more with that left winger slot. Um, I would have liked a third striker, not this sell uh, Mateta to buy a striker. I just think maybe I'm being spoiled there where I'd like free attacking options. But let's say we now want to kind of use Edouard and Mateta together because they bring the best out of each other at the moment. If Mateta doesn't make an impact over 70 minutes, which to be fair, he has struggled when he starts to make an impact like he does when he's a sub, then we kind of need that third attacking option. So, you know, it is really interesting to see what Roy does next. I think if we want to keep these two playing as good as we are, then you've got to play them together consistently and see how it goes and try this 4-4-2 out. Because at the end of the day, their last couple of performances, they deserve to be starting both of them. So, you know, mm. that's fair. So I just worry a little bit about, let's say, one of them doesn't make any impact at all. We don't really have a striker that we can bring in for one of them, you know? No, of course. They're both they both offer different things. I mean, we've spoken at length on this pod about their strengths and weaknesses and who's better. And, you know, it, it, again, maybe I've done, I feel like I've done this before, but it's like, you know, the clip of Rio Ferdinand talking about Messi and Ronaldo. It's like, just, people try and compare them. People try and say what's better than the other. Just enjoy them, man. Like, just enjoy them. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, like they, 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 um, they can be a complementary unit. And I think, you know, we've had a limited range of performances, but just looking at the goal difference with them both on the pitch, and this is going back to 2021, our goal difference is plus eight. We scored 11 and only conceded three when these two are playing together. Now, obviously, some of that is completely irrelevant in terms of the reasoning for that. You know, that will obviously depend on lots of other factors too. But there is an emerging case here that they they seem to know how to get the best out of each other in a way that not many other players do in the squad. And I think that understanding is something that we could capitalise on. And I'm really curious to see if Roy has seen enough to think that he'd like to maybe try that on a longer term basis. Particularly as IU finally got hooked early. Not IU, sorry, Schlipp, I should apologise. Yeah. Um, I think I think the way Schlipp got hooked early was an indicator that, you know, there was a really poor performance there. And Yeah, for you know, sure. It's, it's yeah, yeah, go just just quickly, like you're saying mm. you should like Roy should definitely see that game now and say, look, Schlupp has done nothing to warrant starting. He has produced nothing attackingly for us. If we want to be scoring we need to be playing Mateta and Edward in our current situation but when Elise says back and that it will change but yeah if Roy is not noticing that or picking still to choose Slup maybe he might for defensive reasons away to Villa but then it's just you know it's just a bit annoying because you think these players both have massively deserved to be playing now because of the form they're on you know I'd love to see either are you on the left or you know, I mean, obviously, we don't have access to to Franca at all for a while. We're, we're hearing, sorry, Franca, I should apologise. Like we're hearing about four weeks for him and Elise now. I don't know how substantiated the former is, but there's a lot of talk about that. So hopefully we can see them back soon. And obviously, we would then have a full-strength wing option. But, you know, in the, in the interim, I'd love to see Edouard or Ayu on the left and an alternative on the right, just to kind of mix up on and freshen up our attacking unit. But we really were at our creative best. In fact, that's, the I believe, the most shots on target we've had in the Premier League game ever. Um, as a club, so crazy. You know, that's that's eleven out of nineteen on target, which is a phenomenal rate of conversion, um, and really good to see. In fact, we've had even under the last period under Roy um, against Leicester, it was very similar in terms of record-breaking attacking prowess. So you know we're really seeing evidence here of our of our creative unit clicking. 
I don't actually think we have a problem creating chances, to be honest. I think we have enough quality to do that. It's purely the finishing. And, you know, you don't just solve that by signing a striker. I think we should have, for the record. I'm not actually saying Ekatike would have been a problem. I think, you know, I didn't believe that Matata and Eduard were consistent enough at Premier League level to be anything other than squad options. And we could have probably done with selling Matata. That being said, if we get the right chances created, if we start to play more to Eduard's strength as a poacher, you know, we kind of solve a problem. Um, my ultimate kind of thought is that, you know, the window's shut, it's over, we can't change that. This is clearly something that we could improve with tactical tweaks and with coaching. You know, if we can actually get them to work on finishing and if we can get more sort of poacher-like chances in for Eduard, you know, we could start to see an increased output in terms of goals. And if I can see that, uh, kind of a kind of moron who's sort of a southerner in Manchester and, and forever bullied for it. I'm absolutely sure paid analysts and professionals that know a lot more about football than me could see it. So I have no doubt they'll be hard at work at that. But thank you very much for your thoughts, Luke. And, you know, I thought that, you know, there's so much to unpack with that Wolves game, but it's so hard not to almost skirt into the window, isn't it, off the back yeah. of that? It's just, it does add so much context and really changes things up. So I think without further ado, I think we'll have to talk about the main event here because it's it's been such a dominant topic of discussion. Um, what were your overall thoughts on this window? I mean, I think everyone, we've been saying it for months, probably even years, that we need, you know, more forwards and more, and a right back, you know, at least one right back. Yeah. So I don't think it's a secret what we needed. We ended up getting none of those things, um, certainly in terms of like the late stage of the window where we were looking at Rob Holding and Dean Henderson coming in, and, and that's eventually what happened. You know, we did get at least some attacking units in terms of... Uh, um, Matthias Franza as a Zaha replacement, but obviously that was a kind of necessity. Um, what's your overall assessment of what we need? What's your overall assessment of how well we ultimately fulfilled our objectives? I think first things first, huge props have got to go to the board and parish and the club for keeping every single player that was linked away. End of mm. the day, you don't see that happen too many times, but parish is someone who will stick to his transfer fee and he will not give up on that. You know what I mean? With the high valuations of Decore in the past, he didn't sell Zaha for big, um, for big bucks because no one would meet his valuation because we knew how key he was to us. And I think for a chairman who probably knows that he's not going to try and massively spend or buy in too many positions, keeping like the main squad, the Decore, Gay, Anderson, Elise was massively important. And to be fair, he did that. So, so for me, it already pushed it up to the, like, that pushed it up to like a five out of 10. And then, mm. um, look, Franka looks good, but you're signing an injured player who no one knows what position he's going to play in yet. Is he that Zaha replacement? If he's seen as kind of the left winger replacement, that puts a lot of pressure on him, which I think is a bit unfair. So I personally would have liked another left winger or Zaha replacement option. Not saying he's like going to definitely replace Zaha. I'm just saying like if at the moment, we're seeing him as a possible left winger. And then look, Henderson club clearly four. We had to jump in for that. Johnston's 30. He has been playing great. I didn't see any need to drop him. But, you know, the club clearly feel like getting a 26-year-old possible England international goalie in is good. Sets oh, us he up technically long-term. already is an international. He's not yeah. been a regular starter, but he is cap for England, Dean Henderson. I think he has more just one, this is the one cap. But, but yeah, yes. no, very good point. Yeah, so that's on. so that's interesting. And then Rob Holding for one mil, you can't say no to that because that is actually quite decent, bearing in mind what we saw at Plymouth midweek. So look, I think overall I was giving it like a six out of ten. It was it was decent, but I think as always it had the potential to be a lot better. And I think when kind of one of the best ever players at your club leaves and you don't technically replace him come the start of the season, I can't rate it too highly because I think that's a really big issue. Mm-hmm especially with how we've seen Schlupp play. Sorry to kind of slate and Schlupp a lot this episode. but you Oh, know, no, it's fine. When... I mean, I, I love the guy. He's a good utility player. I think he's best yeah. off the bench against tired legs. I don't think he's a starter. I think he's been a bit of a weak link. So I don't I don't take pride in scapegoating, but there's normally, there always seems to be one player that's just <laughs> underperforming massively. It was Ayu for a while now, ironically. I mean, he's literally just before recording one player of the month and he's been fantastic. So yeah. all props to him for turning it around. We have to give credit where he's due and make sure we, whenever we are critical of players, we're not too harsh on them. Not least because they're human beings first and foremost, but also because they have the potential to sort of unshit themselves for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you... you You've you've looked at the positional side really well, and I think that's probably a, a good way to do this. I mean, we know what we wanted, we know what we got. 
fans know what we got. There were some really good value buyers. There were some more expensive buyers. All of them, I think people would happy with in isolation. That's how I feel, you know, even Rob Holding. I mean, at that sort of price, like an initial, I mean, this is from the Athletic, it's an initial million pounds and then two and a half in add-ons probably relate to appearances, I'd imagine. You know, considering Tompkins is almost definitely going to be released next summer, I think to have Holding in for that kind of, which is essentially an upgrade that's also five years younger, by the way, is, a, is an absolute steal. So we obviously saw Dean Henderson coming in for an initial 15 million with another 5 million in add-ons. Um, but obviously this, it's, it's really hard not to talk about the Guaita situation because that necessitated a new goalkeeper in the first place. You know, I think for what it's worth, the scouting and, and, and recruitment department and obviously Freedom and Parish saw the opportunity to sign him for initial 15 as a steal. And that's fair enough because I have seen higher prices in the past being bandied around and he had that really good spell at Sheffield and, Obviously, his form at uh, Forest before he got injured was quite good too. So, yeah, he's a good keeper. But we need to obviously talk about Guaita. He didn't want to play second fiddle to Sam Johnston, having been kicked out of the team. Not really kicked, I suppose. It's a bit, a bit harsh. But nonetheless, he was obviously sort of confined to the bench. He wasn't happy about being told that he would have to compete for his number one spot. Kicked up a fuss, refused to train with the club, was isolated for pretty much all of pre-season. Um, ended up getting his contract terminated on deadline day and then moving to... Rafa Benitez says, uh, I can't speak today, can I? Rafa Benitez is uh, Celtic de Vigo on a free transfer. Um, do you think Guaita has basically taken a dump on the club? Or do you think <laughs> that we have to kind of just draw it? I mean, I, I we all think he, it was obviously not ideal, but do you really think he's done us dirty or do you think he's entitled to do that? Um, I think when you're a 36-year-old goalkeeper who has definitely declined, despite being a somewhat cult hero for us, you definitely shouldn't be able to have this power where effectively you've made us have to look elsewhere for a goalkeeper. But then it also has kind of worked perfectly in the eyes of the club because Dean Henderson was available for a decent price and realistically should mean we don't spend on a goalie for a good four or five years now or spend that big amount on a goalie for a good four or five years. End of the day, though, look, we've had Zaha's hand in a transfer request before. He carried on playing. You know, Gaia would have just obviously been on the bench it's really interesting one obviously he has been really good for us I do really appreciate that but when you're tweeting in the build-up to our first game of the season and when you're clearly just lying and I don't know I don't like the fact he fans would he was DMing fans with stuff that just didn't sound true that's when I think he's just kind of taking the mick a little bit he's done really good stuff for us swear I'm, I, I might be wrong here Alex but I swear he signed a one-year extension like January and yeah. he could have left this summer on a free, right? Um, I don't think that's strictly. I think he had another year on his contract. So he okay. signed an extension recently and he was basically due to see out the rest of the season. But I think very quickly after signing that, it turned quite sour, didn't it? Um, I mean, I have to agree up to a point. Like, for sure, he's a club legend. He's done so much for our legends, probably. Again, one of those overused times mm-hmm. of football. But but still, he, he was a cult hero. He gave us so many big moments. We were so used to Wayne fucking Hennessy that to have someone who was actually Premier League quality was astounding to us. You know, it was such a breath of fresh air. Um, but for what it's worth, I thought he's been declining visibly for the last few years, particularly the last like year and a half, say. Um, and I don't think his form was amazing. I think he was leaking it too many easy shots. I mean, his expected sort of shots and versus goals conceded and all that was pretty poor, actually. I think he was one of the worst in the league, i.e., you know, he was shipping more than he probably ought to be considering the quality of chances that he was facing. So I think there's been a kind of managed decline by the club here. Um, Sam Johnston was great business, came into the side. Um, he was forced into the side for the record. He wasn't actually just yeah. picked over Guaita. You know, Guaita was uh, was out for a, for a game or two and then he lost his chance and Johnston stepped up to the mantle perfectly and we ended up being a better side for it, frankly. And he was a big, big mainstay in the sort of second return of Roy era, you know, in terms of how that kick started. So I think Leeds, when we won 5-1, was his, uh, yeah. was his debut, if I'm not mistaken, and smashed it out of the park, you know. Um, he's been brilliant for us, Johnston. But obviously, you know, the way I see it with Guaita, like you say, he is of a certain age. He's 36. He's obviously, even at that age, in goalkeeping, you're declining. And... You know, I just, uh, I just think he should, he would have been well placed accepting and just running down his contract, and you know it wouldn't have affected his earnings much. I certainly think um, he was still good enough to even compete for that number one spot if Sam Johnson was having a bad time. You know, it's not like we would have turned our backs on him. Um, I do think, for what it's worth, the club has. I mean, I'm pretty disgusted that the club hasn't put out a statement at least, just acknowledging that he has left on a free transfer. 
that the club's terminated by mutual consent, blah, blah, blah. We did that with Max Meyer, for instance. You know, the club clearly does do that. I think White has clearly, in my mind, hacked off the hierarchy to a point where they don't even want to acknowledge him. Um, I think when we've had players try to force out before, like, you know, they haven't down tools quite in the way that he has. So, I mean, what do you make of that? Do you, do you think that Guaita's has really ruffled too many feathers? I think this is what annoyed me. When I'm talking about, like, that tweet before the Sheffield United game, saying, mm. like, how can I not, how can I be involved if I'm not in the squad or something? Like, people love to say PR-ish for Parish, but the PR being pushed out by Guaita over the last month, mm. in my opinion, has been one to try and sway the opinion, despite him clearly refusing to be in the squad. There is no way that we'd not put him in the squad as a number two, even if he handed in a transfer request. Do you know what I mean? It's clearly he's tried to force this move to get back to Spain. So that's where it really did annoy me. It's like, look, we understand players' requests. He's 36. He maybe wants to go back home, all this. he does. He's done so much for us, so he deserves it. But if you're going to refuse to play and then start doing this PR, how, how can he talk about a goalkeeper union when at the first sight of him not getting involved in the in the number one goalkeeper for a fellow person in the union, he starts creating mm. such a fuss. Yeah. I just think at the end of the day, look, great guy for what he did for us. I'm happy he's gone now. It just was such a mess. And to be honest, I'm not too fussed that we, he didn't get any tweets or anything. If he maybe just had that chance, look, maybe we forced him to stay if he didn't do this, which is it, it's a whole what ifs and maybes we're never going to fully know but for me it was just when you start tweeting and doing all this kind of PR alongside acting like um, you're not the problem at all when he's being forced out of the team then that's just when it got annoying for me I mean I would agree that I think he was incredibly unprofessional I think tweeting the replying to the club directly was incredibly unprofessional (laughs) DMing fans was weird it's not something in this particular media trained age you ever see footballers doing. I mean, I respect that it's coming from him and we, we, he was transparent in how he was feeling, but I think it was totally the wrong way to go about it. I think, if, frankly, the club wouldn't have held out for a massive fee, if at all, if like Celta de Vigo had come in. You know, obviously he was on decent wages, but of an age where we get very little to no resale value anyway. So, but assuming we had Henderson lined up anyway, I don't see why the club wouldn't have amicably just let him go. But instead, yeah. we've had to get into the situation where it's a complete stalemate. He's frozen, it suits no one. And we obviously missed out on any chance to get a fee whatsoever of any kind because he clearly wanted to force that move. So we ended up having to let him go on deadline day. I mean, it's a terrible end because, you know, like I say, he was so loved by so many, but I think the way he's handled it is terrible. And I was going to ask, do you think this whole PR thing from Guaita's camp or Guaita himself backfired? Because... I know a lot of people, and to be fair, I think we do agree on this. A lot of people felt it was quite bratish. What did you think of that? Do you think that's backfired ultimately? Just in just a brief answer. Yeah, I do think like look, if he had if Roy said what he said about him not being involved and stuff, I kind of would have just accepted it, taken it on the chin. But it's when he starts trying to, you know, sway fan opinion and kind of put him it, it just feels like it would sway the fan base and split the fan base. Do you know what I mean? Which I do believe no, it has course. done. There's debates over Twitter over it. Um, I've seen people, Blake, I have seen some people Blake, saying it could possibly be him going due to Roy's ma- uh, man management. So it has caused issues. Mm. And for that reason, that's why I didn't like the tweets and stuff. But look, produced some fantastic moments. He's been a, a good servant for the club. Just sad the way it ended. Yeah. And obviously, I think that would have damaged a lot of relationships that he'd built internally. So a real shame. But I think we need to sort of I want to take the longer view here. This is why I was annoyed about the club and maybe we disagree on this, but I I think because of what he's given us and the moments he's delivered, I think we have to take the wider view here and say, you know, thank you for him. um, And thank you for all he's done for us and the moments he's, like I say, delivered. Um, I personally, I, you know, draw a line under it, bit of a prat to do it, but I draw a line under it. I hope he enjoys being back in Spain. I hope he gets a few minutes over in La Liga and winds down his career there. Um, He's earned that right. I don't think he went about it the right way whatsoever. Really disappointing. But nonetheless, goalkeeping ultimately is sorted for about 10 years. We've got two really good England internationals. Sam Johnson has been called back to the uh, to the camp, of course, and all congratulations to him alongside Eze and Gehi, who retain their spots too. Um, but we need to talk about, I think, when it comes to the window, um, a couple of things. One is outgoings, and I think we'll get to the main event of our, of our attacking signings and the drama with like a TK there. Um, but ultimately, in terms of outgoings, you know, we lost Zaha. That's probably the most significant one. We obviously freed up weight, which is with uh, Palace hero James McArthur, who's been here since 2014, retiring. Luka Milovojevic again. 
I think obviously a bit of a scapegoat. He wasn't really at his prime. Gone to uh, gone to Qatar on a free actually. Um, he's joined Al Rayyan there. Um, obviously that frees up between the three of them quite a lot of wages, and then additionally Guaita again was was kind of uh, in the same camp, albeit in a slightly different manner. Um, what do you make of the outgoings ultimately? I mean, that's not talking, by the way, about a few loans here and obviously Jacob Breen to Leon for just a million. I mean, there's yeah. obviously quite a lot to unpack, but let's talk. We, we mentioned the senior signings there. What did you make of those overall and particularly in terms of Zaha? Yeah, I think it was right time for Luca, right time for Jimmy. You know, Zaha, I was one of them ones who wanted him to stay, but now with hindsight, he's already been injured multiple, well, twice, I think. On two different mm. occasions now with Galatasaray. So it, could it be a bit of a dodge bullet, despite the quality we know he has? I think the main thing Palace fans who wanted, um, who didn't want Zaha to re-sign was that they got that replacement in. And I think that's where the issue is highlighted. But I think in terms of outgoings, let go of the players we did. Could have sold a player for big bucks. We easily could have, you know, but we decided to keep them. And that's what Palace fans would have wanted. So no complaints there. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, obviously, Zaha will split opinion, but again, I think we're more aligned than I realised. Like, uh, I always would have backed it if he stayed, but I was very yeah. much of the opinion that he was no longer our, our most important attacking outlet. He was he was just a quality member of the squad. Like, let's not get, get us wrong here. I would have loved him to stay, but, you know, when, he, when you look at his injury record and how it's, it's panned out, you do wonder, don't you? And, you know, he was on two, he would have been on 200 grand a week. Yeah. You know, this is astronomical. This is, you know, Real Madrid money for someone who was simply no longer the the sole reason we were staying in the Premier League. And I think as recent results have shown, you know, our overall pattern of results is largely consistent with or without him. Um, and I think it shows how much, from and all credit to the recruitment team, how much we have actually evolved in a very sensible, very considered manner. We haven't really overspent either. We've invested shrewdly and we've built a, a core of a team that's really strong here. As you say, we could easily sell like six players for 50 million or more, you know. Um, that overall spine, you know, of Anderson, Gay, um, Decore, Lerma, Eze, Elise, you know, even the strikers when they get in form would be worth not that much, but they'd be worth decent yeah. ones, you know, if we can get them firing again. So, you know, it's all been really encouraging from that sense in terms of how the squad's been rebuilt. Um, but I think, yeah, certainly in terms of outgoings, it's obviously a huge ask to replace someone as Zaha's quality. My overall question is that, you know, is Francer up to it? We don't know. The, the highlight compilations are great, but that's highlight compilations. He's clearly a technically superb young man, but we don't know what, how he'll adapt to the Premier League. and We don't know how long for sure. We're hearing four weeks, but we don't know how long for sure it will be before he's back in training. Yeah, what was good to see actually is at uh, end of the game, he was on the pitch walking, you know, he's involved with the squad, which is just a little side note, good to see from him. But mm. if he is seen as like kind of the, a left winger, then the club have clearly seen something that Flamengo haven't as much. Because if you look at the stats, he hasn't actually played too much on the left wing. He's played a lot more as an attacking mid or a second striker. Um, mm. So it is really interesting, but he's still young, so he could easily play there. You know what I mean? And if yeah, you kind of see sure. the way Schlupp played against Wolves, you did mm. see Schlupp in, uh, drawn into the middle quite a bit. So maybe it's a mm. bit of an idea that or tactic they want to use. My one issue, as I kind of highlighted before, is... You know, a lot of fans will be expecting Franca to come in, maybe come in at left wing, make an impression. And when you've had someone like Zaha there, someone like a, a a prospect, a wonder kid, that is a lot more pressure than he needs. That's why I would have liked another mm -hmm. winger in to just help him out. But you never know, yeah, mate, because sure. Roy's probably going to do when um, Elise's fit. Are you Edward's Elise? So, you know, Frank is probably not going to be that starter straight away, which is for me, exactly how we should see it. You know, we spent big bucks, but you've got to give some players time. No, absolutely. I, I think caution and patience is the things I would urge with him. He looks like a raw talent. He looks adaptable. I'm pretty sure, as you say, he could play in the right wing, sorry, on the left wing, but the way he actually looks as a player in terms of how he's, his early development's gone, he actually fits more like that Eze mode where he plays a bit deeper as a second striker or number 10 and then kind of drifts around in the kind of a left, well, I almost want to call it like a quarter, that left kind of <laughs> upper quarter of the pitch towards the goal. That's his kind of prime spot. Anywhere around there, mate, you know, that's the kind of attitude that I think the club's taking. And I, I think he'll be given a lot of positional freedom. Um, as you say, I think Schlupp's not really suited to it naturally, not necessarily all his fault, but you can still see what he's trying to do. And I think, again, he'll be, uh, when I say he, I mean, uh, Francis, sorry, he'll be, he'll be put into that role. So, no, absolutely. He does look a good acquisition, but I mean, in terms of goal contribution, it's a huge step up. We've seen Vinicius Jr. do it 
superbly for Real Madrid going straight from Flamengo to La Liga. But, you know, it's obviously not impossible. And I think the Premier League generally is recruiting more in South America, particularly the likes of... Uh, we saw Norwich for a little bit in the Championship and now we've seen yeah. Austin Forest do, do it quite a lot as well in the Premier League. And, you know, Danilo looks really strong there. And, you know, there's definitely some success stories of people. I mean, um, Joao Gomez, sorry for Wolves. How could I forget? Like, yeah, wasn't really amazing against us, but certainly he's had... I've seen him play brilliantly for, for them too. And again, was a was a straight from Flamengo signing. By the way, Joao Gomez has some lovely words to say about Mateus Francis. So I recommend you look that up in your own time because obviously they play together. Um, and I think, you know, there's obviously the scope there. Um could be a good signing, but again, only time will tell. We can't put the pressure on him. But obviously, um, you know, Elise was injured and then ended up being one of our star players. It, it could happen again. But does lightning strike twice? I kind of leave that up to our listeners and up to you. But um, I think obviously the forward area was, was a pressing issue. The right back kind of links died very quickly. We didn't really see yeah. anything concrete at all. I think the club, by extending Ward's inclined contracts, um, and by the way, Joel Ward as captain, I love. Like I think it's it's a natural choice other than him and maybe Gay. They're probably some of the strongest leaders in the room. Um, but obviously, I think the way they extended those contracts, I think the club is content to keep them rolling for one more year and then reassess. Um, it could be, by the way, and I'm, I'm going to... I don't really defend this because I, I still think it's such an obvious problem. But if I'm in Parrish's shoes, I'm probably thinking, or Freeman or whoever, I'm probably thinking like the options on the market are probably too expensive right now for the quality we need. There's not really, I mean, you could argue that, you know, Max Aaron's came in quite cheap. I know there were some good right backs that moved, but, you know, I think in terms of, in terms of a, like top class fullbacks, I think they're quite expensive and hard to find. So maybe the club's made that assessment. I personally think, you know, it's not good enough and it, it should have been addressed a long time ago, but, Hey ho! Um, I don't think it's worth talking about right backs too much. No, um, not, not strikers. Talk. talk to me about strikers. I don't want to hog the limelight. <laughs> talk to me about strikers because we obviously have this debate about confidence and you know can we can we gear up towards those two? But do you think we needed a striker? Didn't you? We mentioned this at the mention earlier. Yeah, oh. yeah. As I said, I would have preferred it to be the option of a third striker and not maybe see it as much as sell Mateta to them buy and kind of the players mm. we wanted to sign were very similar to Edwards. And maybe I'm mm. old-fashioned in this sense, but I quite like having two very different options. You saw Mateta mm. come on against Wolves the other day, and he didn't win every header, but, you know, he was just a nuisance, you know? He just added a bit more mm. pressure, just they couldn't pass it around as easily, you know? It's just nice to have two different type of strikers, maybe even a third if you're spoiled. But, yeah, I think I would have liked to strike her in, but look, with the way the two are playing right now, no one's really going to take Edward's place at the moment, are they? So... You know, whoever this striker would have been, a Che Adams something, would he have replaced Edouard? Probably not. I think that's why for me, emphasis would have been more on the winger. I'm sorry I bring it up again, but, you know, um, I think striker, I was kind of, if we had to sign one, I would have preferred a winger. But, you know, we didn't sign any attackers in the end. I'll let you kind of diverge into the transfer deadline day madness that we had, I really, I guess. Yeah, I mean, obviously we were linked with Hugo Ekatike of PSG, former Stadjahan wonder kid, um, who then, when he departed, was then filled by Fodor and Balogun on loan, who's now gone to Monaco, blah, blah, blah. They seem to have a knack for having good strikers lately. And um, I won't go but down by play-by-play, frankly, because it's so well documented. But as Sky rightly said, Palace was the only destination he wanted on deadline day when they when push came to shove. You know, there were other offers made. West Ham came in from late. We even heard there was an offer from uh, Siska from... Uh, uh, Zenit, Zenit, Petersburg. Yeah. Zenit, yeah, St. Petersburg for 40 million euros. Like, we're talking huge money, but um, PSG only wanted to sell, they didn't want a loan. They refused Palace's attempts to sort of sign him flat out. Nonetheless, he before all that kicked off, he was behind his club's back negotiating with Dougie Freeman and, and the Palace camp. So it was a bit mad, and it's also a bit mad to have a wonder killer that recognition actually knocking on the door to Palace and saying, I just want you guys. And then obviously, when it didn't happen, it didn't happen, right? Um, yeah. I tweeted something very crass about this, but it got traction because I was so annoyed that, particularly as PSG managed to tie, sign their top target, I mean, there's no reason why their third choice striker should be kept at the <laughs> club and excluded. So it's good for no one. It's, it's terrible because it depreciates their asset and obviously the player stagnates and doesn't get a move he wants. And it, no one wins. It's a total lose lose, total zero sum. It's just pointless. But you know, at the end of the day, I don't think our attack is necessarily any worse off for it. You know, he would have added something, but he fits a similar profile to the strikers we already have. And again, I, I do wonder if this is purely a, a finishing issue or whether it's a combination of that alongside the quality and type of chance being created. Um, 
you know, I think we saw with with Edouard that when we play to a poacher's strengths, we get poachers' goals. And it doesn't matter if they're not the sexiest in the world, they win games, you know. What do you yeah. ultimately think of that? Do you like you say, I think I always wanted an attacker. I would have taken a striker any day. I was gutted when we didn't get a Katike, but you know, it, it's not the end of the world if we can find those chances. And, you know, I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. Yeah, it, it's so interesting because how much do you have to spend in this market to get someone who's a lot better than Edward? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Even even before, for me, I was someone who always kind of rated him. I just thought he lacked, obviously, the goals last season. We've mm. seen he can be a poacher. So realistically, who are you going to get when Palace's budget was around 15 million or a loan? your list is very short it was probably the few we got suggested the Inachos, Che Adams um the Etikikes but only on a loan you know what I mean so realistically Mm. it was a lot harder to find a striker than people probably think you know especially if you wanted to improve that Mm. that strike that number nine spot so you know we tried it luckily at the moment it's not looking like it was as urgent as we need but mm. you know let's say the goals start drying up then you know exactly what everyone's going to start saying you know on social media then that, the pitchforks come out again you know they're, yeah. at, the, they're at the bay waiting you know yeah. it, it, it's, it's often a bit of temporary relief that result but we don't we just simply don't know at this stage on the, in, in the podcast journey i'm sure we'll have this discussion later down the line but we just simply don't know how they're going to pan out like you say the goals might dry up again it, we might have the same problems it might not be so clear that we found consistency again if we briefly look at those options, you know, I tweeted that Che Adams was basically someone who's too good for the championship and too shit for the Prem. Um, he's one of those players. Um, that's probably quite harsh. And he's a good man, a good player, I'm sure. But he he doesn't really seem to offer anything, I think, that we don't already have. Because you've always, if you're going to spend 15 million, you've got to ask, what am I getting that I don't already have, right? I think you're getting someone that is sort of in between a... Well, probably quite like Edward, actually, if not less technical, just someone who's a classic poacher. He's got a decent yeah. eye for goal, but he was never anything other than sort of ordinary. And even by Southampton fans' own admission, he was part of a problem for them in the Prem. You know, Adam Armstrong was useless too. He was a similar situation. Um, but particularly Ian Atcher, who we were heavily linked with, you know, his, it seemed like his valuation was going up every month. You know, we, we I heard figures of sort of eight to ten million, then ten to fifteen, and by the end of the window, there was unreliable. They were asking for twenty million, so which mm. you have to ask yourself why? Because he's in the last year of his contract. You know, he's on huge wages that aren't sustainable for an EFL club. If they don't get promoted, you know, they would obviously obviously they would release him and lose out on on the fee. But you know, those wages would have been hard to sustain anyway for for a consistent period of time. So you know, they were trying to keep him. There was things going on there. It was a bit complicated. So, you know, I would have liked Ianacho. I think he had a decent record, particularly when he was starting and um, when he had better players around him. So you have to be careful just to look at goals and assists because I think there's so much more to him and he can play on the wing. So I think he was looking, he had that kind of versatility that it seemed like our recruiters were looking at. But ultimately, you know, we didn't get him. There was a lot of disappointment around that. I do see that. I do see what he would have added. But we're not talking here about, you know, the next Mbappe. We're not talking about Wonder Kids. We're not talking about gems that, were nailed on for goals. We were just talking about options that, you know, with the right coaching and the and the right potential could have, you know, we could have easily seen Edward hitting those levels too. I, I I still think there's more underlying it than just they're terrible players. I think, you know, we have to be more, more nuanced than that. But nonetheless, you know, they haven't been good enough. We just need to find more intelligent ways of addressing it rather than just throwing the bag at someone all the time. Yeah. But yeah, that being said, so yeah, go on. Yeah, no, it's, it's right. And as we said, we've seen Edward starting to, be more of a poacher he's only 25 years old at the end of the day no he's a good finisher like that is something he is definitely really good at if we can get him just a bit more involved in the games which we have been then it looks good just gotta hope it keeps on going it would be amazing if we could just see him get 10 this season you know just someone to hit that double digits and that's what we need and then you can maybe build on from there then you can reassess i think that's what's so important when we're a club who don't like to spend massively every summer or every or you know or don't spend big in January it'd be really good if we could just come to the end of the season and be like look Edward's playing double digits we don't need a a top striker as much as we needed we just Mm. need a bit more cover and then you can get better options elsewhere in the squad so it's it's a really big season for us I think it's or six months for us in terms of our strikers and let's not even talk about Mateta who's getting assist to his game causing havoc and just looks to have a lot more confidence mm. which is great and 
we just have to give Matera a shout out because some of the moments he's had in the Palace shirt, mainly off the bench, but some of these moments have been ridiculous. Like, come on, like JP, what what is in your drink when you come on as a sub? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Sub Matata is unreal. I mean, I think Schlepp has been good as well. I think he's much better off the bench, but I, I, I kind of, I just feel like they've got that kind of like toxic lover syndrome, you know, <laughs> it's like just, just when they're really dicking you about and you think you're terrible, you're no good for me anymore. They sort of, they just do something amazing. They turn on the charm again. It's not a good relationship we have with our strikers, is it? It's a, it's very, uh, very unhealthy as a fan base to have that, but um, no, no, jokes aside and weird analogies aside, like, you know, I would love, like you say, for them to find that consistency. And if there's anything that the last couple of games have shown us, it's that the potential's there, you know? Eduard in particular has already got three goals. You know, Nick, look at Nicholas Jackson at Chelsea. I love him, by the way. I think he's a really good sign, a yeah. really good striker. But he's really he's really sort of struggled to hit that kind of form in terms of being in front of goal. You know, he scored against Luton and then seems to miss sitters. His overall game is fantastic, but he's not getting those goals. And that's always what people are going to look at. Unfortunately, football is more than that for strikers these days. And I think what we have there is on the two very technical footballers, first and foremost, and ones with uh, with overlapping um, qualities that, that can sort of help each other out. I mean, just before we wrap up, I've got a couple of quick fire questions. I mean, would you like to see Eduard and Matata starting as a partnership, either as a two or Eduard on the wing in the next few games? Yeah, if it was them to it be as a upfront partnership for me, and I'd like to see it. It's hard when it's Villa away in the next game. That is a really tough game. You will have to be very defensive. So do you need a more defensive winger? Um, probably. But, you know, I I think they deserve to be starting together. Their goals they're producing together are really good. And look, mm. my one issue is can Mateta do it over 70 minutes instead of over 20? Yeah. If we, only, if we had to sign one position this window, what would you say was the priority position? Left winger, for sure. Left winger, more than right yeah. back, because I'm definitely a right back hand, but I still think it's a it's such a long term issue. But yeah, no, yeah I, I do. I, I don't want to. It's not even an argument. I just want to hear out what you have to say on the left winger position, because it is obviously a problem. I think in my head, it's just like we weren't going to sign a right back. So maybe that's kind of swaying my opinion a bit. Not going to yeah. lie, Ward's done OK, but he definitely needs help. And we definitely do need a right back. Mm. But um, it's one of them things where under Hodgson, you can get away with Ward as right back for another year. I just yeah. think when you lose Saha, you need to replace him, and that's it. Yeah, of course. The way we play, I mean, in brief, like Ward hangs back and drops back almost like a centre back in a free when we when we're pushing up, and then Mitchell is the one that does the big overlapping runs and the creative threat. So it kind of works, like you say. There's ways around it, but I think it's something we still have to address. But yeah, a good case for left wing too. I think obviously we're quite light there, and we're really hoping that the France is a played there and B can step up to that mantle quickly. Number eleven shirt, no pressure, right? Um, <laughs> What's your overall assessment of the window out of 10 then? What would you give it again? You said you said six at the start of the show. Yeah. Do you still stick by that now that you thought about it? Um, I think I think so. I think six. I think you if you get a 10 out of 10 window at Palace, that's ridiculous, to be honest. Like I don't think any club would ever say it's yeah, 10 out of 10 window. Exactly. I mean, Chelsea would bloody Chelsea fans would probably say yeah. it's not a 10 out of 10 window. It's like <laughs> Now you sign like twenty players, Jesus. Yeah, but, and then yeah, yeah and then you look at uh, you saying the right back positions needed. It is me saying the left wing position. There's a couple of positions that maybe will mean we don't get the top ten finish we're achieving. We want to achieve. Mm. No, no, for sure. I mean, we're not a rich. Well, we should be a rich club. Uh, we act like our owners are skinman and not. That's a separate conversation that we've had before <laughs> on this pod. God, that's a can of worms, isn't it? Bloody yeah, hell. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good place to end it, actually, because I don't want to get into that. But that is uh, that is another story. I think for the for the resources we had, we've got a few good deals. Um, we haven't even talked about Lerner on a free. I don't think there's much to... I mean, he speaks for himself how brilliant he's been. Yeah. Ridiculous. But, um, I, Ridiculous absolutely amazing. I said that double pivot of him and Decore reminds me of like... You know when Thomas Suchek first joined West Ham and he was unreal with Declan Rice? It reminds me yeah. of that. I think there's well, that potential for a double pivot here that like could be a really good partnership and a really well-known one for us. Um, but anyway, I, I will not open any more can of worms on this pod. Obviously, really good to see Eze and Gehi getting called up. Um, obviously, delightful that they got to keep their place too. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of a good integration with the squad. Just lastly, before we go into the international break, I mean, do you expect to see more minutes for them? Yeah, I think so. I think in the easier game, we should do. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Southgate kind of sets up, actually. But, you know, I think they'll get minutes, for sure. No, for sure. I'd be good to see that. Um, 
that's probably one for a much shorter pod next time. I think this has obviously been a been quite a long one, but nonetheless, thank you very much for your time and really good to hear your thoughts again. Yeah, cheers, man. Cheers for having me on. No, no worries. Anytime, anytime. Always welcome. Um, for those of you, if there is anyone in Manchester, please let me know on Twitter. Let the Palace Way know on Twitter because we need. To, I need more Manx friends up here for the Palace fans. You know, I need. I need to get like see if it's like a supporters group or something because Jesus, it's been it's been fun going to an orphan away day so far. Um, many more to come, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, brilliant listening to um, listening to you speak again, Luke. And obviously, thank you to you, the listener. Um, we've been again delighted by the feedback, and we've seen tremendous growth both on our socials and on this pod lately. Um, we're really delighted with the feedback we receive and of course the criticism because we want to improve we want to make sure that we can do things better and that you guys are getting a better experience so if you could leave us a review or any stars on whatever app you're using that would be brilliant um but not much more to say other than thank you for your support up the palace and see you in the next one cheers everyone